0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Therapy Matters podcast. Your one-stop resource for expert insights and advice on everything therapy and rehab. I'm your host Alison Jones, and today I'm joined by Tom Denninger, Senior Director of Learning and Development at ATI Physical Therapy. Tom, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me, Alison. Very excited.
0: Well, we're excited to have you here with us today, too. So, Tom, why don't you take a few minutes to give our audience some background on who you are, what your journey has looked like over the years, and what it means to lead the learning and development team at ATI.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I have had a little bit of a circuitous journey. I'm a physical therapist, um, graduated about 2008, so been in the space for 15, 16 years. Um, Came out of DPT school, did an orthopedic residency. Um, had the opportunity to do my manual fellowship and took a very typical you know clinical you know part practiced for a few years continued to practice and became a CD became a multi-site CD um, you know went up the operational chain and, and ran a region for a little bit um, and then in 2017 had the opportunity to more formally kind of step out if you will and work Exclusively in terms of clinical development, working with an ATI's platform, working with their clinicians to improve skills, patient management, things along those lines. Um, did that for a bit and then had the opportunity to work with our business development team and help inform them about. Physical therapy and why outcomes matter in those different pieces um, had an opportunity to kind of lean into some research. and then just about a few years ago had the opportunity to come back formally to learning and development, but instead of exclusively being on kind of the clinical development piece, had the opportunity to flex into more of a leadership and professional development space. um kind of put all three of those buckets together instead of just traditionally kind of focusing on, clinic products, and clinical treatment.
0: Excellent. Okay. So today we're going to focus on a topic that um, is, of of course, very near and dear to your um, heart, I'm sure. So we're going to talk about learning and development, but we're going to look at it through a very specific lens. We're going to talk about uh, leadership and professional development. And so when we were discussing today's session, you had mentioned that Um, something ATI in particular has uh, tuned into or sort of turned the dial on uh, over the last 24 to 36 months was really making this a priority for your team members. So the concept of leadership and professional development. So my first question to you is, why is this a priority for ATI?
1: I think the simple answer is we weren't doing it very well. Uh, And I think that's Probably representative of most of the rehab space, right? When we think about professional development, we immediately go to clinical skills, patient management, becoming a specialist, you know, things along those lines. Whereas when we think about someone's leadership development, I think a lot of folks have gone through that. Unequipped. Um, usually, even if we think about folks who become leaders, right, you know, they become our clinic directors or regional operators, things like that. Uh, a lot of times that's represented with the idea of kind of promoted to incompetence, right? Hey, you're a great clinician, patients like you. Clearly, you're qualified to lead a team. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, you know, for a lot of folks, leading by example is their only leadership tool. Um, they're not necessarily gifted coaches or not necessarily gifted for in developing trust, um, or, you know, really being gifted communicators. Um, and I know me personally, when I was first kind of going up that chain, becoming a CD and a multi-site CD, it's a bit of an over-exaggeration, but Hey, do you want to be a CD? Uh, sure. What do I need to know? Well, here's how you approve payroll and here's how you approve paid time off okay, what else? Well, here's how you read a report. Okay, what else? Yeah, you'll figure it out. Um, and I think that probably is representative of a lot of folks, um, you know, maybe still present day, but certainly in the past. I know in my DPT program, I wasn't taught how to lead a team. Some people have kind of some of those gifts organically or they've developed them and other previous life experiences like sports or, you know, clubs and things like that. But most people aren't innately leaders. Leaders are developed. They're not born. Um, So I think it was a huge opportunity for us because we recognized what we were doing wasn't having the effect that we wanted. People weren't as effective at kind of communicating and leading and building trust and, you know, all the things that we expect from a leader. So you end up with just churn of the position. Uh, I, I wonder how many clinicians out there right now, you know, when I talk to someone who's been practicing for 5, 10, 15 years and they're not in a leadership role, a lot of times you'll discover that they were at one time and and they felt, hey, this isn't for me. I wasn't very good at it. And it's like, well, no, you never had the opportunity to learn and develop. You were not thrown to the wolves, but certainly didn't have the support and scaffolding that somebody would need when you're taking on an entirely different role. Um, So I think that's the leadership piece. And then the professional piece, and I know we'll get more into this later, we had a lot of people who were looking to understand what other opportunities there were within the organization. And that's bi-directional. Clinicians looking for non-clinical roles, but you also had non-clinician roles or non-licensed roles saying, what else can I do here? I am a PT tech. Um, How would I go about learning how to be in recruiting? or maybe being in a non-licensed clinical role, you know, where I was more patient-facing. Um, so we really kind of said, hey, this is our huge opportunity. We think we do clinical development pretty well. We don't think that's our 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 huge, huge, huge opportunity. So there's been a, a disproportionate focus on those two aspects, simply because we weren't doing them well or even at all.
0: And, and why is it important to um, develop leadership in an organization?
1: Well, I mean, if you don't have leadership, things don't tend to go well and people don't tend to stay around. Um, I think, you know, the, really the mandate was people are interested in becoming leaders, but not if they're not going to be supported. And the other thing is, if you don't have good leadership, you're not likely to win, and the people under that poor leadership are likely to leave. So I think all of those, it's performance, it's stickiness, and it's self-fulfillment and development.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So do you, do you see this um, uh, among your peer groups? Do you see this as a growing trend across physical therapy practices, this concept of creating a leadership and professional development program?
1: You know, it, it's interesting. I I don't know what everybody else is doing, but you certainly follow the trends on you know whether it's LinkedIn or social media and things like that. And you certainly do see that things are in place. People are being developed some some way somehow. Um, I don't know the particulars. I had leadership training probably early on, but it was a lot of business exposure. Um, you know, or it was hey, this is how you read a report. Here's really the tactical aspects of this leadership position, which I think is a little bit different than having a foundation in general leadership models that then you can instill situationally. Um, So I'm not sure. I think a lot of people are doing some really great stuff. I know just from a lessons learned perspective for us, we've tried to take a step back and be less tactical and a little bit more general in the beginning. Because once you have that foundation, it's very easy to lean into tactical situations versus if you're trying to teach to tactics, um, that makes you good at one particular scenario you know, and it doesn't necessarily generalize. So if, if anything, our, our real lesson learned is start with the foundation and move to functional expressions and then tactical applications as opposed to just going straight to the tactical job-specific applications.
0: Okay. Okay. So I think you've you've sort of touched on this next question, but uh, but I'm going to ask it anyways. So what do you think is the responsibility of the company in developing team members?
1: Yeah. You know, that's a great question. Um, I think a company's responsibility is to create opportunities for folks who are interested. Um, I think when development becomes the expectation of folks, that can sometimes go a little bit sideways, right? This whole idea of an upper out type of mentality that we see, not necessarily in healthcare, but certainly in 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 other functions, you know, of the job market. Um, I think it's good for a business to have those because I think it drives upskilling, it drives retention, it drives fulfillment. Um, you know, you end up with a better individual, right? The idea of build, not buy. From a talent perspective. Um, So I know it's great for business and a really big reason to do it. What is the responsibility? I think it's creating a mechanism for those opportunities without requiring individuals to do it. If if everyone learns a little bit different, everyone has different timetables in their life, no one should feel compelled to take on an opportunity if it's not the right fit or not the right time for them. I think the responsibility is having those channels available for folks to take advantage of, um, not necessarily pushing people through them.
0: Right. Not everybody is meant for leadership. Not everybody wants a leadership role.
1: Absolutely. But we also need to challenge what is the idea of professional development for a physical therapist or an occupational therapist or a physical therapy assistant instead of this idea of Okay, well, you're a clinician. This is your background, right? You can become a better clinician, become a mentor, become a CI, you know, those types of things. You could become a specialist or you could be an operator. Um, I think we really wanted to challenge the idea. And you had such a wonderful conversation with Mary Kafton a few weeks ago regarding this idea of, hey, becoming a non-clinical person, you know, almost had this like, ugh, you know, it's okay if you be going to education. Maybe research is okay, but if you're stepping away, you know, from not even the care for patients or this or or physical therapy generally, if you're stepping out of a non clinical role, that's looked down upon, and I just think that's that's ridiculous. There's other ways to serve. Absolutely.
0: Okay, so so you've been at this for um, for a little while in terms of of of. Uh, your program so tell me are there any side effects whether positive or negative to uh, us to having this program established at ati
1: yeah uh, you know any changes are going to be multifactorial and I'm always very reluctant to point or raise my hand and jump up and down and say, look over here, look over here, you know, I would say directly focusing on leadership and professional development has helped with our staff attrition, Um, you know, multiples of factors, but we've certainly uh, improved immensely in that in a post-pandemic world, quarter over quarter. Um, And I think that's driven, one, from having opportunities for people to develop, but also to the point before, being led by someone who is developed. Um, so much of changing jobs is I don't have confidence in my direct leader. They don't communicate well, they you know, are just button mashing, you know whatever. It ends up being, I think you know, see, people seeing there is a route for them to grow and being led by folks who are, are you know, better leaders, quite frankly, has helped immensely. Um, I I would say that's probably the biggest thing, but it also goes beyond that in terms of just having a leadership bench, right? So you're not, oh my gosh, so-and-so left. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to push someone into a role where maybe they're a reluctant leader, or maybe they are really going to have a tough time. They really need a lot of support, you know, for, for that, as opposed to being in a position where, Oh my gosh! We have you know this many people who would be qualified for the role. You know we need to pick out of great options as opposed to always feeling like hair is on fire and you're plugging holes in the dam before it completely breaks.
0: I I want to go back to something that you said um, at the beginning of that um, st- staff retention. So staff retention is a big it's a big issue right now. It's a big challenge for a lot of. Um, Therapy practices today. You mentioned that it's helped reduce your attrition. So, could a leadership program? It's obviously, you know, example one um, one point here. It's helped. It's helped in ATIS um, example. Do we think that a leadership program can help retain top talent across um, other therapy practices if implemented correctly?
1: Yeah. I I mean, once again, I think staff retention is a multifactorial piece, right? There's no doubt about it. But hopefully, I really do hope, um, you know, that when people have better leaders, they're better engaged in their work and engaged workers tend to stay. Um, And when they see that there's opportunity for them and it's not opportunity where I'm holding my nose and gritting my teeth and I'm doing it just for a paycheck or this is the logical next step in my career, even though I really have self-doubt or imposter syndrome about my ability to move you know, from an individual contributor to a leadership position. I think when people have confidence that the development and support is there for them and it's not just a hope and a wish, oh, yeah, sure, I'm gonna be right by your side. you know, here is the one pager on running all the reports. you know, here's your keys to the clinic. Yeah, text me anytime, um, you know, sort of thing. Um, I think they're much more willing to stay for those opportunities because I think it preempts this idea of gases the grass is always greener. Um, hey, maybe I would be willing to be a clinic director over there. It's an unknown known in terms of what support I would have. But if I stay here and I take that position, well, I already know what that's going to look like and it's not pretty. Um, so I think when people can see the future, they're less likely to leave for the opportunity versus take and embrace the opportunity that's in front of them.
0: And there was something that um, you mentioned. I think it was a conversation that uh, you had had with your um uh, your head of HR or your head yep. of people. And, um, uh, it was a statement about, uh, this being the last, the last job that you'll, you'll ever need.
1: Is, yeah. Our, our chief people. Yeah. Our chief people officer is, is, is incredible. Um, and the first meeting I ever had with her, I had been in role, you know, for learning and development and, and, and she came in and, The first thing she said, well, at this previous employer, we had a saying in HR that this should be a clinician's last new job. They might be with us for 5, 10, 15, or 20 years, and they might do 15 different things while they're here, but we believe that we're a company that grows with people and people should not have to leave to express their passions and interest. She was very direct and said, I don't know if we're there yet here, but that's what we want to build. That's what we want to create so that if somebody has an interest that's not directly patient facing, it's learning more about IT. It's having a pathway to look at talent acquisition uh, or business development, or instead of working in the clinic, working on a job site, Um, you know, to have those opportunities because, right or wrong, especially kind of, you know, I think our generation, millennials, right? If we don't feel like we're moving up, we feel like there's something innately wrong, right? We're always looking for the next thing. And part of it as is work we need to do to say, no, I'm well situated here. I don't need to always be looking for something new. Okay, I'm pretty good at this. Now on to the next thing. Um, I, I think there's some self-work we all need to do a little bit to be good um you know with where we're at but if you have other interests and other expressions why go and need to explore that somewhere else that clinical background combined with some upskilling in that functional knowledge area makes someone who's more qualified than someone who doesn't have knowledge of what we do with patients or in our clinics or in our job sites um So we've really tried to foster this idea of for clinicians, by clinicians, that it's not that we're losing people from the floor. It's that we're gaining team members that are super knowledgeable and super empathetic to the patient facing uh, clinicians and workers. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that idea. And and I, I imagine that it it's sort of a trickle down effect that you know it it's it helps with a lot of sort of the uh, the challenges that uh, therapy is facing today with um, patient engagement, um, staff retention. Um, just those those issues are naturally just addressed by um, keeping your team happy and engaged and uh, productive. Uh, you just have that natural trickle down effect.
1: Yeah, I mean, I really think people want to learn. Um, you know, they're with high levels of burnout, with high level, all the things that you and Meredith did a wonderful job um, really exploring on what drives people to consider non clinical roles. A lot of the times, people are saying, I need, "I need, I need to look for something different. I don't know what that is." But having a mechanism in place where people can understand what is it that a project manager does? you know, What is it that an application specialist in IT does? What does it mean to be a recruiter? What does it mean to be on payer relations? A lot of times people don't know what they don't know. So it's a matter of, well, hey, you know, maybe let's have this conversation with someone who went from the clinic to the project management office. Let's have a conversation with this person. And what I try to express always in those conversations is it takes work, right? There is some investment, at least in time, if not something monetarily. And I say, as, as a learning and development professional, I went back to school and I've done three certifications in instructional design. Because just being a great clinician and having had a lot of education didn't mean I was a great educator right. or a designer of learning. Um, so so it, it's an understanding of, okay, I could see myself being interested in that. How much time and or resources am I willing to devote to it? Um, but I almost, I, I get, uh, you know, I always take a step back when I'm watching football or watching TV and there's some great Amazon commercials. It's essentially how I went from a warehouse employee to, you know, uh, name your role. And it's about having these channels and opportunities available for for people. Um, and even more than that, having the culture where that's okay, right? You're not going to get, smack down because, well, we are in a labor crisis and we can't have someone else leave you know the floor. Well, if you don't have those opportunities, they are going to leave the company and exactly. try to find those expressions otherwise. So might as well develop someone who's going to be a, a superstar in this new role, keep them, and also have that benefit of it being an attractive place where, hey, we're hiring you for one job or one job only versus kind of our CPO's vision of, this is someone's last new job. They might do a ton of different things, but they shouldn't have to go anywhere else.
0: Okay. So then there was one other thing that you had mentioned, um, you know, the concept of, uh, by clinicians for clinicians. Um, and then the, we had talked about this sort of in the, in, in the, um, when we were preparing for the interview about creating a voice for clinicians in those corporate roles and how they can be very beneficial for organizations. So I want you to take a second and sort of uh, explain that a little bit more um, and how that can be beneficial for an organization.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And it goes back to this idea of committing to build, not necessarily buy, right? Companies are are always at different phases, and sometimes the right thing to do is buy talent, right, that has some specific subject matter expertise that can plug in, right? But the most valuable folks in those roles are the ones that understand product intimately, right, and that product being clinical care, um, being, you know, the operations of a clinic or a sideline or a work site, um, because when you have that knowledge, I think you have a lot more credibility. Um, if you have been with the company for a while, there certainly is some reliability associated with that as opposed to the person who rides in on the horse, and we're not really sure. and will that translate over from retail to healthcare or you know, or pharmaceutical to PT, you know, whatever kind of the example being. So if it's someone you know, someone you know who's been in your shoes, and also someone who has the appropriate skills, you really benefit from it. Um, And I think there's just a ton. And this isn't novel, right? When we look at any other kind of enterprise, right? When someone gets tagged as a high potential individual, what do they do? Well, they go through developmental rotations, right? They, They get exposure across the entity, across the organization. They learn from being in a variety of situations. And ultimately, when they kind of land you know, at their future home, they have all of this content expertise and subject matter expertise and all of this cache of experiences that really prepares them to be in that role. Versus when you think of people in singular roles or silos, you never actualize that idea of, Someone understanding the entire enterprise or all of the verticals and how they fit together. Um, And and I just think when you have folks that come in and they don't have knowledge that's really germane to physical therapy specifically or healthcare, some of them do a great job. They, They really commit to getting out there and understanding and diving in, but some don't. Uh, And some kind of just assume it can be managed from a spreadsheet and X's and O's and things along those lines. They don't understand it because, I mean, our business is so personal. It's always about the patient. It's always about the relationship between the provider and the patient. It's just very different um, than a lot of other enterprises and industries. And the person who understands that and has lived that and walked in those shoes, I think will always prioritize the patient and the provider as opposed to you know the bottom line or you know we all have conflicting you know pieces hey well we need to do better here we need to do better here yes but at what cost at what sacrifice and i think when someone has lived in those kind of frontline provider shoes they probably think things a little bit differently and that's nothing against people who haven't um, because I think if you do it the right way, you can really lean in and learn and ingratiate yourself and 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 become extremely knowledgeable about what that looks like. Um, but I just think we're 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 not always better off, but we're often better off when 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 it's kind of this idea of for clinicians by clinicians.
0: Excellent, all right. so, what's the next step? Where do we go from here in terms of continuing? leadership, and professional development.
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, I think there's plenty of work still to do We're we're kind of, you know, maybe transitioning from phase one to phase two, where a lot of it was standing up these leadership pathways and programs. Well, how do we refine them? How do we make them better? How do we make sure that we're taking good feedback, both from the folks who are in the programs and also the people that are in the orbit of the programs to make sure that we're getting better Um, you know, excellence is a bit of a moving target. You know, sometimes it feels like, oh, we got to make sure we have a much bigger bench. Oh, our bench is pretty big. We got to, it's always going to be a moving target from a professional perspective. I think we're getting better every day at opening up those pieces. Um, but we have much more work to do on that, you know, in order to have kind of a formalized process for folks to shadow or do project work, uh, get different levels of exposure, um, I think there's always a debate on how much assistance you know, do you do in folks with upskilling. There's always this idea of, hey, skin in the game or an investment, um, but also what's the investment the company's willing to make in its people and itself. Um, so we are in the midst of kind of transitioning our learning management system um, you know, simply because the one that we had before was 99% clinically focused which was the right thing for us when we initially entered that relationship 10 years ago. However, when we thought about professional development content, whether it's people learning Lean Sigma Six, uh, you know, or individuals, you know, understanding Scrum and IT methodology and project management methodology and general communication and leadership principles, it really was an opportunity for us to say, we have this clinical aspect, we think we can do that this is going to be the next stage for us to really think more holistically and programmatically about developing people through that professional development piece with many opportunities for non-clinical skills. So it it continues to go that road to really mature from a a singular focus of clinical development to a much more holistic one around true professional and leadership development. Excellent.
0: Uh, And any, any, any final thoughts for uh, folks that are listening in today and are thinking about spinning up their own sort of leadership or professional development program?
1: Yeah, I I would just say um, make sure you take a step back. Um, Normally when we think about great leaders, we think about our own journey and we think about our best boss or what they did. And that Is probably great, but it's by definition singular or narrow. Um, So I know one of the things that was really important for me was to work with learning uh, and development individuals, instructional designers, leadership coaches, things like that who weren't from kind of a healthcare or even PT space, right? If you want to get more general, get more general. Don't stay just in your bit of a camp because there are wonderful resources within the PT space. I think from a leadership development, gosh, a new podcast probably started today about the clinical leader profile. Like there, there, is, there is a lot of people very interested in these things. And if I could really offer kind of any advice, it would be make sure you look beyond just here. Um, you know, I'll use the example. The APT has wonderful leadership development programs, but they're narrow, when we think about it, I, I really had this this, a pit, this, uh, this realization, if you will, um, kind of in my days as a, a little bit of a researcher, in that implementation implementation science, translational research. How do we get people to do the research? You know, the, the the stuff that research shows is effective, and there's this really novel concept and PT spending a ton of time in it. Well, when you really back out. All of those implementi- implementation science models are just change management models from the 1970s. It's not new concepts. It might be new to us, but they're not new concepts. So once again, there's great stuff outside of what historically has been a PT or a OT channel um, that makes sure you're getting foundational enough and that you're being kind of widespread enough. There is lots of great stuff out there you can get exposed to. Ultimately, I think the model matters less than having a model, uh, because most of them are 80 to 90% the same, just with enough differences to monetize it. But have something, and then also stick to it. Um, that's probably the other lesson learned in terms of not having the shiny object syndrome. Um I love Book of the Month clubs, Hey, but also by definition, if everything's always new, you never really get deep knowledge of it. It takes a ton of discipline to say, yes, that's cool, and we really want to focus on what we've been doing because when you're not disciplined in the frameworks that you're implementing – people just assume it's a flavor of the day it's a fly by night. And if they just wait it out, they don't get have to get behind it and they can kind of keep doing whatever it is. So I love the idea of being eclectic. I love the idea of really investing in different things, but, as, but oftentimes good-natured things like book of the month or, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, it, it ends up just kind of being a net zero.
0: So. Yeah. And flaming out.
1: <laughs> I uh, mean, I'm glad I read all these books. Right, Uh, They all seem pretty similar, but also I don't really know what I'm doing um, and I haven't taken the steps to go from model and understanding to application because I can't apply something different every month. It's the same thing with our patients. If you do something different every treatment, they're not going to see improvement and they think that you're very disorganized. Right. Well, that's what happens too when you're constantly shifting models.
0: Yeah. Consistency and repetition.
1: It's boring, but... It works. probably what does it.
0: <laughs> yep. All right. All right. Well, Tom, we are out of time for today, but uh, this was amazing. Thank you so much for sharing some insights into what you've been doing at ATI and, and what's worked from a, um, uh, leadership and professional development perspective, lots to take in today. Um, and uh, hopefully our audience will walk away with one or two tidbits, uh, for their, uh, Uh, Leadership and Professional Development Program. So thank you so much for sharing uh, that wonderful information with us. And thank you uh, to the audience for tuning in to the Therapy Matters podcast, your one-stop resource for expert insights and advice on everything therapy and rehab. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Therapy Matters. Do you like the podcast? Give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and tell all your friends about the show. Want to be a guest or know someone that would be a great guest speaker? Contact me at allison.jones at raintreeinc.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N jones at raintreeinc.com. Therapy Matters is brought to you by Raintree, therapy and rehab's favorite EMR. Raintree is the only all-in-one therapy EMR delivering a complete and seamless end-to-end patient journey from first contact to payment to patient retention. To learn more about Raintree, visit us online at raintreeinc.com.